Hello, you are listening to the Three Camps podcast. Before we get started on our normal fifth episode, we wanted to reference something. Last week, we put out a promo where we were asking for people to call in with some of their unsung heroes that we wanted to highlight in a future episode. Uh, We have taken the promo down and we've put it at the end of this episode. And I encourage you to listen, even if you've already listened. Uh, Be thinking about that because we'd love your input. You'll hear it, but for quick clarity, the point of the promo was basically there are people that come here at camp, do an amazing job, make an impact, and then we don't really hear from them again. And we're calling them kind of the unsung hidden heroes of camp. Our feeling is that everybody has one or more than one, and we wanted to make this an opportunity for people to kind of highlight them. Well, late in the game of our editing process, we received a voicemail Uh, of somebody who had heard that promo and done exactly what we asked. And here is that voicemail. Hi, Seth and John. Um, This is Beth Walker, um, and I have attended camp as a camper and staff member for many years um, and can think of a lot of longstanding heroes or legends that um, have returned to camp year after year and when I heard Adam's idea on the recent promo of naming or highlighting um, those heroes and legends who maybe come to camp, leave their mark, and then move on um, through their life, I immediately um, thought of Anita Adikula. Um Anita was a unit director when I was either an Impala or um, an LDP, and um, she just really was one of those camp icons for me. Um, Her humor was infectious. Um, I really thought she'd make it as, like, a comedian, and I'd see her on Comedy Central. Um, Her warmth and energy were really larger than life. Um, And I just have this really vivid memory. Um, One day, we were all in the dining hall, and Anita just comes charging in, riding a pool noodle, shouting, Get on your horse! Get on your horse! Um, just at the top of her lungs, and um, and she um, was promoting, I think, a pickup game of Ultimate Frisbee, um, trying to get people to sign up for it. But just what really stuck out in that moment, just so clearly for me, was her confidence, um, her assuredness, and and really her joy, um, just her her vitality and her joy. Um, and you know, I I remember just saying, what's that? Like, I want some of that. I want that feeling. Um, I want that joy. And just this very vivid memory of Anita has been on my mind this week, um, especially because before even listening and sitting down on the, catching up on the podcast, um, I had found out that she had passed away. And um, while I know so many people could speak to her life better and just more fully, um, I just thought I wanted to share that moment and the impact her joy for the Lord was able to have on me. Um, thanks for listening. This is hard. I mean, we wanted the voicemail to be exactly this. At least something could could take place like this on the voicemail where somebody had a thought and didn't know where to put it or didn't know how to reach the camp community and this would be a place to honor somebody, even in a way like Beth just has done. At the same time, we want to be thoughtful and do a good work, and we don't want this to be 
a very poorly done memorial. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to try and make this a memorial in Anita's honor. Really, from what I gather, she was here for a short while and made a giant impact. And so we thought we would take a short while and just sort of mention her and make it known that, you know, she was missed by, by many. And I sort of knew this would happen when we were talking about heroes and voicemails, but I just knew I was going to be hearing about a bunch of people that I wish I knew. And true to form, you know, I, I wish I knew Anita. She sounds great. She sounds like somebody that I would have really gotten along with. And we were, she was turning 40 this year before she died of cancer. She's my age and she sounds like an awesome human being. In fact, everyone that I've talked to around here remembers just how larger than life she was and how infectious she was. And if you're like me and you didn't know Anita, you know, I still feel some kind of connection to her because she was a part of this greater camp community and she was somebody who made an impact and clearly had her heart and soul in the work that was going on here, even if it was for a few years. To close this off, I was connected to a guy that was a co-unit director with Anita while they were both at camp. And before I was even able to reach out to him, he had written something to his friends, all of whom knew Anita well during their time here. Paul Steinweg was kind enough to let me share his thoughts and his memories of Anita. So if you'll allow me, here are a few words written by Paul. I can't believe this really happened. I've been remembering a lot about Anita over the last few days, and it's all amazing memories. Anita and I may have brought Ultimate Frisbee to an iconic status, but all I did was show up with a bag of discs and a list of stupid rules. Anita was the one who put the ultimate part in Ultimate Frisbee. The ultimate part she represented, I remember, was not at all about being good at the sport. In fact, Anita was horrible at the game, and that's what made the class infectious. She showed the campers that the joy of trying, the gift of humility, and the fun of being able to laugh at yourself was where it was at. We spent more time in those classes literally on the ground laughing from her antics than actually playing. She was so positive. On the rare occasion that Anita was in the right place at the right time on defense and got to smack down the disc, she would stop the game with a huge, oh, smack down, comment followed by a truly bizarre dance, something like the Pharaoh Pharaoh song motions combined with the chicken dance. A finger pointed at the person she rejected with, oh yeah, that's right, then a classic loud Anita laugh. I so love the opportunity to work with her, to get to know her, and the gift she gave me of learning to lighten up in life. She was one of those people who were so patently different than anyone else you'll ever meet. She will be so missed. We're going to start the episode now, and unfortunately there's nothing I can do about the stark contrast of our intro following this. I guess these are always how these things go, but I just want to say thank you to Beth and to Paul for playing a part in sharing in this memory of someone that was a part of camp, and maybe some of you listening can remember this with fondness, and some of you who may be like me just have to say I'm looking forward to meeting Anita when that day comes. This is episode five. Let's get into it. Technically, it's three camps. We have three different encampments. 
Camp Brookwoods. Brookwoods. Camp Deer Run. Camp Deer Run. River Outpost. Three camps. Moreau and Brookwoods. Deer Run. River Outpost. The Three Camps Podcast. With your hosts, John Cooper and Seth Coates. Three Camps. Hello. Thank you for joining the Three Camps Podcast. This is our fifth episode. I'm John Cooper. With me, as always, is Seth Coates. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Seth, uh, we got a fun week, our fun episode planned. Uh, in studio with us, Matt Erickson, our director of facilities. Matt Erickson, I've been in and out of camp for eight years. Uh, I worked for three three summers as trip staff. And during that time, I actually met my wife, Caitlin, who was working as horse staff during those three years. And uh, we actually left and got married. And then we came back and th- we're coming into my fifth year as facilities director. So, eight years. Nice. And Caitlin still works with the horse staff, right? She does. She works in and out. Uh, because we have young kids, she, she can't commit to a whole summer, but she helps the, the girls run the program, so there's some consistency there. As the oldest of seven kids, I actually did live in, in a bunk bed for part of my life, and I always chose top bunk because I always read a book with a flashlight, so I didn't want to wake anyone up while I was reading in my bed. I thought it'd be good to kind of talk about what's going on from a facilities perspective. I think people, maybe people know, but maybe people don't know about the latest development. What's the big stuff that's going on here, Matt? So the big stuff right now is we're building the new Ranger. Um, it's bigger and grander than the old one uh the old one's actually kind of falling apart and that's why we started the capital campaign to build the new one because it was actually getting unsafe in the old one and it's coming along well first of all it looks great uh in fact I, i had my family on the lake last week we were just trekking around and even from the lake perspective it looks awesome and then also um we should tell people there is going to be a camera that is available on the website with with the high winds and the storms we've been having, the cameras are sometimes on, sometimes off. So just to give people the heads up. But if you check on the website. Now, here's the thing. For anyone who's been at MRO, they know what this looks like, right, Seth? Well. They do. They know what the building looks like, yeah. right? Because um, the design that we went with is the same as our Katahdin cabin, which is, is two cabins that are together under the same roof. So it works really well for Ranger. Um, right. But R2, it's on the girls' side, actually, and it's uh, Pomola and Baxter. So if anyone stayed in those two cabins, um, that's the look of it. Um, But we should probably back up. Anybody that's not Brookwoods might not know what the Ranger is. Oh, yeah, good call. Yeah, so the Ranger is actually the equivalent to Pronghorn, for those of you that are from the Deer Run side of our so who stays so it's the oldest boy cabins so that's the ldp ones and the ldp twos but we're actually making this cabin so that we can use it into the conference season as well which would be a unique aspect to a brookwoods cabin uh normally all the brookwoods cabins are a little more rustic than we care to put guests conference groups in the ranger's not going to be as rustic most of the brookwoods cabins don't have heat or anything right yeah. so we really don't there's like one fall group that we is huge and and we typically would use it um but then we can't uh and this will be unique for us right because yeah. it's going to be a heated space it, 
It has the two uh, cabins above and then a meeting space underneath. So a small church group or, or retreat group could go into that building and be somewhat self-contained, you know, have to come up to the dining hall for meals, but could be a great spot for a small group on property. Yeah. Easily. Cool. So one, one other thing I'll say that uh, is going to be kind of a tease to people. Obviously, there's a lot of people that have spent a lot of years in the Ranger, the original Ranger, and great memories, um, great feelings about that building. So we have a way uh, that we're going to tease it right now that if you're interested in uh, maybe even having some memorabilia from the Ranger cabin, uh, just stay tuned because we're looking to have something special come. Uh, for those people who who know all about the in, inside of that ranger cabin. So Matt, as you know, on the podcast, we've been doing a kind of recurring series of uh, memorable trips, and we're going to do another memorable trips episode now. So in addition to hearing about the ranger, you uh, being a trip staff member for three years have a lot to offer when it comes to tripping. Um, we thought it'd be fun just to kind of hit you with some rapid fire trip questions. How do you feel about that? Come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is the weirdest food you ever made on trail? I would say the weirdest food I made would probably be bag brownies. Wait, what? We were trying to make brownies on the trail and we poured boiling boiling water into a plastic bag with brownie mix. Yeah, no, the food service guy's <laughs> cringing right now. <laughs> it, it did not turn out how we hoped it would. Sure. All right. What's the most, this is a terrible question. What's the most crucial gear you've left behind? We left a rain cover for a tent behind, and it was a rainy trip. Oh no! So that was that was not ideal. Let's just say uh, sleeping arrangements were cozy that evening. Nice. Sure. What about so when you're when you lead trips, uh, I often have to just like roll with the punches. So what's your best or favorite improvisation that you did while out? So actually, one of the best that I had was going out to the island. You wouldn't think this is a, a spot where you needed to improvise, but I was out there with John Hunt, and we were cooking breakfast, and I went to go to the island box, and there was no spatula for the pancakes that we were cooking. So I took three spoons, put the heads together, and fanned out the handles and used the, the handles as my spatula not terrible. to flip over the, the pancakes. I like that. So I didn't discover the spatula was gone until there were already pancakes on the griddle. So I had to figure something <laughs> out pretty quick. That's good. All right. Did, did anyone ever bring like a guitar on the trail? Yeah. At Windfall, we used to keep an old beater guitar around. And every so often, we'd actually throw it in a dry bag and run down the river with it. This guy, Tyler, would do it all the time. I mean, it's a fun idea, except for that you have to bring it with you everywhere. And that yes. you know, it's cumbersome, I'm sure. But yeah. Trip right. staff, they, they carry far more cumbersome things at times than the guitar oh, this is or it, a ukulele. Right <laughs> so. All right, so what's the most cumbersome thing you've, you've seen go on the trail? A watermelon. <laughs> a full watermelon. You can at least yes. eat it and yes. be done with it, right? Yeah. That's a good point. That's that, a good point. That you don't have to carry home. But that was something that... Uh, Oh, I mean, uh, eight-pound watermelon small. I mean, if you were bringing a big watermelon, oh, that's extra. But that's sure. one of those things that uh, part of the tripping culture is if you get into the the weight war, people slip the most ridiculous things into each other's packs. Oh. And a watermelon is actually, it's a pretty good one because there's some good. size that takes up the volume of the backpack. But I've heard of dumbbells. Oh, of, that's so cruel. Yeah. This is one time when I was on staff at a camp, not not one of our three camps but um, three camps we were on a staff hike and we were hiking out it was a 5.6 mile hike full packs 
Um, and every time we stopped or we'd, we'd shuffle our position, uh, we always took a fist-sized rock and put it in this guy, Justin's backpack. <laughs> and then like eight of us were into this. And so he must have put on a solid three miles before he even realized like we were up to this. Oh, man. When we stopped for one of our water breaks, he finally figured it out. And it was it, it was funny. And he was mad at the same time. Yeah. It was that's good and to understand the culture a little bit like on the trail you find guys who they're cutting handles off their toothbrushes oh, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. trying to shed any weight they can right. so when they start finding pebbles in their backpack yeah no kidding trip stuff takes a special breed yeah well we promised he'd be back our first story comes from dave strodel yeah so my name is david strodel um i uh have spent many years of my uh life at camp in fact i count my life as the years that I wasn't at camp more than anything. So I'm uh, turning turn 60 plus and I'm uh, I think there are five to six or seven that I have not spent uh, some part of it in New Hampshire at camp. So um, uh, definitely part of my uh, part of my life in a big, big way. Um, and I was uh, most recently the boys camp director at Brookwoods and um, really excited about a young man named Ben Tabone who uh, is now picked up those reins and who I enjoy uh, working with and commiserating with once in a while. So that's my that's my bit. Yeah, he, he's all right. He's fine. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's not as handsome as I am, but um, <laughs> he, he plays guitar better. Uh, there you go. Um, top bunk or bottom bunk, and why? Ooh, good question. Um, oh, you're going to get a real story on this one. Okay. So um, I would say uh, usually bottom bunk. Uh, but it really didn't matter. Um, but um, for those who are out there, I was a bedwetter. Um, and so for those who need a little... Breaking uh, news on the podcast here, Dave. This is great <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, breaking news. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and so I have a lot of sympathy for those who um, go through that experience. And, um, and so it made it a little easier to, to cover up anything and not worry that some poor kid on the bottom bunk was going to get... Uh, get doused no that, that's probably too much information but um oh man that's great uh, dave you can edit, it's you probably can edit that one out if you want no, no we can leave that in it's probably <laughs> it's probably fair to just say though that like camp and the camp staff have a pretty good way to manage that so that it is not an embarrassment Amen. for the kid right and probably you are instrumental in making that a, a, the way that we do it here. yeah yep and more importantly if you're a, in a camp and uh and you're in there with some other friend who's going through that uh, you be to take the high road and make it easy for them because right. everybody, everybody's going to have a challenge, whether it's that or, you know, I was pretty good riding horses, swimming. I could do everything else, but it took me a little while to, to figure that part of my life out. All right. Well, I got to yeah. say, we are not going to have anyone else give that answer. I think that's extremely <laughs> unique. We asked Dave about his most memorable trip, and this one certainly made top five for him. It's not really a long story by our standards, but if you know Dave, he's a teacher. He finds a way to see the big picture quickly, and he makes great parallels, and it's just a nice story for us to then afterwards we were able to kind of talk through some of the learning that took place. And then there was this beautiful takeaway at the very end uh, that somebody was able to add as an addition to this story. One thing I'll just say is that early on, I don't know if this is exactly clear, this was a trip where they were just getting pummeled by wind. You know, we talk about headwinds. I think this is one where it was almost like debilitating. They could not 
really move for the first couple of days on this trip in any kind of work that they were doing was exhausting and seemed relatively fruitless. Here's Dave. Yeah, this was probably one of the ones that I would say in my top because it was it was also the whole group. It was the group experience. Um, and we um, I got a feeling it was the first day we woke up and we started paddling and I was a younger leader. And so um, it was one of the first trips that I think I led without Doug Burke. Um, Dave, back in these days in the 80s on the Allagash, was that that was a trip that anybody could sign up for, right? It wasn't just the LDP crowd? Nope. This There were years when that was true, but this was after the transition had been made. Okay. So it was a first year LDP trip. Okay. So I want to say it was 85, 86, somewhere in that range. Um, it would be the first year that John Lane was an LDP. Okay. Um, and Toby Clotter, Drew Hoffaker, um, it was really a group that has just been, you know, that was, but they were definitely, you know, different groups. They were a squirrely group. They were, um, we were all, you know, kind of young and doing stuff. And, um, you know, Mary Beth and I were just out of the, you know, out of the womb as far as directors. And so basically we start up Chamberlain. Well, now I know better than I did then that you don't go on the, on the uh, right side, the east side, you go on the west side so that if the winds come up, you don't get hammered into the shore. So we ended up getting on the right side, um, getting hammered, dropping back south. I, I forget the name of the campsite now. Might have been something like Smith Cove or something like that. And um, we basically, we were there at 10 o'clock in the morning and we sat the rest of the day out. Mm. Um, got up the next morning, got up reasonably early, got into the next lake, and then it happened again. And so we basically ended up for a couple of days on that on that third day, um, we ended up um, going at, getting up at three thirty in the morning. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine the grumbling, you know, of, oh, why do we have to do that? But on the other hand, everybody, as I remember, kind of also knew like we didn't want to deal with the wind either, you know. And you didn't want to have to end up making up. I mean, the background of this is that we often plan a layover day into the trip. Well, once you're windbound for a chunk of a day, you don't get that day off because you've either got to make up terrific mileage um, or um, not take the day, essentially, off to let kids just be in camp and that. And so um, my vivid memory is being on the, uh, the, the eastern shore of Eagle Lake. Uh, the, the, the lakes go um, uh, Chamberlain and then into... Um, eagle and then churchill and then you go on past the rapids and i remember being vividly being on eagle lake and basically realizing and learning from the physics that you could put your canoe at an angle and uh it's what you they call ferrying on in rafting or canoeing and because the the water in ferrying on a river hits you at an angle it'll push you across well the wind would do the same thing and so we learned that if we just held our position the wind coming at the angle would push us along the shoreline once we got to a certain point. So there were all these dimensions. And, you know, it was this group that had a little, you know, personality to it, so to speak. They had a lot of energy. They were, you know, listening most of the time, that kind of thing. But boy, we were all just absolutely whipped when we got into shore each night. And, um, and then finally, you know, once we got onto the river, it was really not an issue anymore. We did make up a lot of mileage. Um, but I think it was one of those things where the profound experience of a um, 
dealing with something that was a lot bigger than yourself, realizing that there were skills that were involved that it took to um, to manage the situation, um, not you know taking care of each other. There are members of the group that clearly struggled more than others. Um, and then even as leaders to know that you didn't have all the answers. Mm. And um, once we had gotten you know, over a period of two, two and a half days, got, and it was mainly on the lakes. Once we'd gotten across the lakes, um, I remember very vividly, uh, Ginny uh, Lipscomb, now Richburg, uh, was one of the other leaders. And we were, and she was a triathlete and an amazing uh, leader and uh, someone who I knew well. And I remember saying, you know, Ginny, we got to get around the corner. We can't take the risk that this is going to happen another day. And Ginny would normally be one of those who would say, oh, yeah, let's go for it. And she she basically looked at me and said, are you, are you out of your mind? You know, there's no, we're, we're all like you know, sprawled on the grass at the campsite. People are sleeping, uh, you know, at two in the afternoon. And as I recall, I don't remember specifically, but as I recall, I don't remember who won that that discussion. I feel like we... <laughs> I feel like we did put in like around four or five at night, go around the corner. And I think the trade off that I convinced her was if we went around the corner, we'd be able to have two nights in the same place mm. and we weren't going to have to pack up. Um, and so we waited late, went in, had a late dinner and then spent the next day kind of relaxing and having our layover. But um, I totally can picture those headwinds. The first time I was on the Allagash as well, we didn't know not to hug that the right side of that lake. I mean, that's essentially where you start. And then when you look at the map, you go, Oh yeah, well we just go up the right side. Um, and just get pounded by the wind all day. Um, and that, that changes. I mean, almost you hit the water with this excitement, right? You're going on this adventure. It's going to be this multi-day trip and you do that. Yep. And you can tell me if it was the same for you, Dave, but in the trip I was leading, that just changes the morale instantly. Right. And, um, And it's work as a leader to bring that back around um, or to to just keep motivating. I mean, it sounds like you guys had your work cut out for you to get them up so early in the morning. That is crazy. Yeah. You know, you, you, as a parent, uh, I'm sure who are any of those who might be listening down the road as a, you know, you, you, you think about getting your kid up for an eight o'clock uh, class at school, even remote teaching like we're all doing now um, for, you know, think about three in the morning. Yeah. Now there was a little excitement to it and, you know, everybody's got to put their life jacket on because we're starting in the dark. I was going to say earlier, I want, there's like a, there must be like an inverse ratio. We could put our smart minds on this, the harder the trip, the stronger the group, you know, at the end <laughs> of it, like there's some kind of uh, growing together that comes with four days of just washing up on shore and being exhausted. And it's fine. I only know a little bit. I know John Lane, uh, in my limited you know, he's, he's a crazy guy. He's a great guy, but he, uh, man, he loves the LDP program. I think you think he going through that and he wants all of his kids to go through it. Mm-hmm. You know, he sees the benefit and, and, and that wasn't a turnoff to him, I guess is the point, you know, coming through that wasn't the end. It was the beginning. Right. No, absolutely. And, um, and I think, you know, there was a, there's a picture, uh, you might be able to find too, um, from a few years ago, one of the reunions where, um, a good number. Oh, I don't know if there were 24, there were somewhere in the na- in the neighborhood of 15 of them wow. came back for that um, reunion. Wow. Yeah. You know, and in some ways you probably resonate with this, Dave, that the, the struggling through the trip almost has as much of a victorious feeling at the end as when you go out and you feel like you're just killing it and you conquer the day. 
Um, yep. Sometimes I think there's more satisfaction in the struggle than in in something that comes easier. Yeah, Dave, and John, that that was kind of to your point of what George said is that um, you know we kind of pray for rain. Call it, we call it honesty rain. Um, you know we don't want to get washed out, although occasionally it happens. But you know you pray for um, kids to realize that they can't just get out there and you know. Uh, not care. They've got to work at it. You know, it's kind of like that when uh, when a surprise comes your way and you think, oh, I just can't wait till, you know, diaper training's over or when you have a kid or Preach. I can't, wait I'm, <laughs> can't wait till I'm through algebra or whatever it is. And, um, you know, till I get to high school, we always live in I can't wait till. But, um, you know, this is the journey and and having our um, canoe partner in faith in Christ is really a big part of that. So as we close out this story, we're going to hear from Dave a little more, and then we're going to hear a beautiful poem that was published in the Journal of Christian Camping and also made the first issue of The Weather Vane, which is our biannual newsletter. Jane Cook is a poet and has written a beautiful poem about this trip as experienced by her daughter Sigrid. Sigrid was part of this Allagash group and when she came home, Jane kind of heard from her and then wrote this piece of poetry that sort of shows Sigrid's learning, but then also Jane's learning as a parent. We tried to get Jane Cook to come on and, and be a part of this. We were unsuccessful. So our next best thing, we have a special guest at the end of this to read this poem. You know, you, we've been talking a lot about just lessons and where faith comes in. Um, you know, sometimes it's good enough to hold your position. You know, we often think as Christians that we're, you know, um, uh, there there were, you know, phrases in, in earlier decades of, you know, victorious life conferences. And um, I think sometimes we think about that as a Christian, we should always be living in control and in victory. And, um, and I think, you know, we've come to learn a lot more that so often faith is really um, sometimes just uh, holding position, letting God be God, letting God take care of the big stuff and um, not having all the answers, but knowing that as we put our, ourselves into God's hands uh, um, and use what we have in that moment, the faithfulness is the bigger picture that God can, you know, carries on. Um, there's a great sermon, not to get too, you know, off track here, but no, great please. sermon by, uh, by Haddon Robinson. Um, and uh, Haddon Robinson, uh, just a, a wonderful orator and, and preacher. Um, but he gave a talk about Isaiah um, and the, the verse that says, you know, they that wait on the Lord will um, uh, renew their strength. Rise up, will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings as eagles. Uh, they'll run and not grow weary and walk and they won't faint. And he talks about the idea that um, so often. Uh, people think that that is backward, that it ought to be an upward motion of walking and then they run and then they, you know, and then they fly. And he said, that's really not, a, that wouldn't have been an accurate picture because so often um, there are moments in our lives where we, um, through faith and through God's presence and relationships, we do fly and we experience 
that, but there are a lot more where maybe life's going on, we're not really thinking a lot about it, we're running through, things are going smoothly. But even more so the idea that as a Christian, um, God promises us that we'll walk and not faint, that we're just gonna take the dailiness of life. Um, and he does a beautiful job with that. I think, you know, going back, Seth, as you were describing it, just pictured being kind of hammered by those waves. You know, we weren't cruising along, you know, we mm. weren't, uh, flying we were barely paddling but um god's grace was good to us so mm. it brings a lot of those things back but it was and it was a, i think it was a formative thing so the poem comes in where we get back and it was the story you know the kids are all telling their parents and so um jane wrote who is a poet wrote this beautiful uh poem about um being a parent and about letting go of your child into things that are bigger that than even you as a parent can manage mm. um, and um, it almost makes me get choked up because what it one of the lines is basically how um, as a parent you put your your kid into the hands of God and even in sending him to a program like LDP or camp um, and then when they come back you know and Bob will often say this that the kids are a little taller after two weeks or a month at camp um, they're a little more um, experienced, and then, um, and uh, basically, the Jane's line is the, the 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 letting go was always her problem, not the daughter's, not Sigrid's. And so, without further ado, here is the Silver Canoe, written by Jane Cook, read by Mary Beth Bowling. From breast to bottle to cup, the difficulty was always mine not hers. Each weaning took her further from the safety of my womb, and growing, she absorbed my fears. Years did not release her. That 17th summer, the whitewater rapids of the Allagash, a silver canoe, and the winds from God challenged who she was. Fighting angry currents, she discovered her own strong arms next to his on the rugged journey to the border of her country and herself. She returned taller, knapsack slung over sure shoulders, muscled and browned as the earth itself. I searched her face for a glimpse of child to cradle, but found she had been weaned beyond me in her silver canoe. Wow, well, if you recognize that voice, that was Mary Beth. Mary Beth Bowling was kind enough to read this poem. She's with us in studio here. Um, Mary Beth, thank you. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. We're, we're very lucky to have you. Um, we're not going to introduce you properly because we want to have you back to do all that. But uh, for the short while that we're together, Seth, I just thought, wouldn't it be nice, the three of us, to kind of reflect on this? Obviously, we all are parents. Um which I think is a little bit of a help when you hear something like the silver canoe, because it really kind of connects a bunch of things that I'm just going to say, maybe not every camper can totally appreciate why I think that's a beautiful poem. Um, but just the ideas, the imagery of, of, you know, your, your kids growing up right in front of you. Um, it's both awesome and terrifying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, and you know, even the struggles that we would probably in some ways to a fault want to save them from are really the things that in, in the end really make them and, and the Lord uses that stuff in such a meaningful way. So 
we would be remiss to try and step in and save them or, you know, put bumpers on everything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think grit is one of the things that kids get out of camp, you know, is, is learning to be resilient and to take on challenges. And yeah. Yeah. Kathy and I were talking, um, my wife and I, about this kind of topic. The podcast has been bringing this up for us just in conversation. And we were talking about it in light of, are we going to send our kids to uh, Moose River Outpost this year? Maine and Braden are both old enough. And, um, and we were, we were talking about it. And I, I remember coming back one night after we had interviewed someone, it might've been Jesse and um, saying like, I don't know that we have enough adversity in our kids' lives. Like mm-hmm. not that we want to push them beyond what they're capable of, but this theme keeps coming up that this is where like challenge and growth and, and like the uncomfortable and the unnatural somehow brings about these great growth points. And for whatever reason that night we were just talking about, are we putting enough, are we asking enough out of our kids Mm -hmm. or are we just creating comfortable lives? And not that that's all bad, but like, do we have a balance or have we swung all the way to one side? Yeah you know, in this topic yeah. of should we send them to camp? Cause camp could do some of this stuff for them that maybe they're not getting just in the day to day of our normal New Hampshire life. Right. The, of the grit, the grit that Mary Beth just talked about. Right. Yeah. I see it as a teacher too. You know, during the year I teach middle school and, um, you know, sometimes parents really want to keep them from failure, but often it's in the failure that they learn and that they, resolve that they're going to do better and you know um so i i just i i feel pretty passionate about you know that kids should be challenged and and should be allowed to fail at times yeah i you know i definitely do not want to be the old guy in the room going you know hey kids get off my lawn in these participation (laughs) trophies and every one of these memes that at the same time kids know when they've worked hard at something and they know the, the satisfaction of that. Mm-hmm. So the idea of just, I don't know, not, not asking much. I, I don't know that there is even reward there, you know, for them. It's robbing them of both the challenge, but then also the satisfaction. Yeah. When we give out awards at Moose River Outpost, I, I do a little rant that I, I do each awards night. And by the way, I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> I'd right? love to hear this rant. Oh man. Um, <laughs> but basically I tell them that like, we're, that they should be proud of this thing that they've done because it took hard work and it took effort and dedication. And, um, I don't, I don't know if I use these words with them, but I use these words with our staff that we're not a blue ribbon camp. Like, I don't want you to give a kid an award just cause you feel bad that they might not finish it this two weeks. Let them come back next year and be proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's not go that way. Like we don't have participation awards at camp. It's just not a thing, but they'll be so much more proud of it when they know that they did it. Yeah. Yep. Mary Beth, you remember when that poem was written? I do. Uh, well, I should say I remember reading it for the first time. Um, I can't even picture where I was, but but it was actually you were talking about you know having kids, and it I it was before I had children, and um, I remember thinking. Uh, you know, this is what we do. You know, this yeah. is this is what camp is all about: is uh, seeing kids, seeing kids grow, seeing them change, seeing them take on challenge and accomplish. And and we get to 
be there, Seth, like you're saying, you know, at the, the awards ceremony when, you know, they come up and get that award and are so proud. You know, just today, I was telling a mom whose daughter I had to discipline at school um, about a kid at camp. And uh, this kid was part of what we, <laughs> we called the Terraboo cabin. That would be the Caribou cabin, only they had this group of girls. My own daughter was part of the group. <laughs> um, that were so, they were just, they were, they were in trouble all the time. You know, just, they couldn't get along. And um, some of those kids are still on staff. And, but here's the cool thing. So after those two weeks, I had to speak to one of the campers parents and say you know not really sure we definitely don't want to go for a month here next year let's kind of see how the year goes and see if she should come back next year and we wound up having her back and you know fast forward five years and we have this award that we give out at the end of a month session called the joy ellis award and it's given to a camper who um, shows leadership to not just her cabin, but to other kids at camp and, you know, who really is seeking hard after God and, and uh, is a servant to others. And so um, this girl got that award. And what it taught me was that it's so raw in those little kids, that, that leadership potential and that, you know, that ability to, to um just lead others and and she had it but it came across as bossy and aggressive and she needed time she needed time to grow and to learn and to try things out and to fail and to pick herself back up again and uh and and get feedback from others and you know and all of that um takes time and and we see it at camp and camp provides some of those opportunities that that help to mold and to um, take that raw ability and and give it uh, wings to, to fly. Mm. A big thank you to Matt Erickson, Dave Strodel, and Mary Beth Bowling. Also, we'll take a moment to say thanks to Beth Walker and Paul Steinwig. The Three Camps podcast has been produced by myself and Seth Coates. We thank you for coming along on this tour with us. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to follow all this with that promo. Um, we are still looking to hear from you on your unsung heroes at camp. Feel free to give us a call at 978-308-2679. I feel like I always say this is not a typical episode for us. And eventually I'm just going to stop saying that because we still have no idea what a typical episode sounds like. But we thank you for coming along with us. So long. This is a podcast promo. We are here. This is not an actual episode. Seth, we have been getting voicemails. No way. I know. It's been great. We're loving them. People are saying great things and giving really good ideas. I wanted to play you one. Here you go. Incoming message. Hello, and thank you for calling the Three Camps Podcast Voice. Hang on. Let me speed this up. Glad you're here. Feel free to leave us a message.
Give us an idea for a podcast, tell us a story, sing us a song, or anything else you think we might want to hear. Thanks for calling. Hey, guys. This is Adam Derby. I worked at camp for a few summers and a couple winters and a couple falls. Um, you guys mentioned looking, you were looking for topics. So I thought I would shoot you a voicemail on an idea I had, this idea of camp's unsung heroes or legends, whatever you want to call it. Um, so everyone knows these like camp legends. I'm talking about Doc Andreessen or Coach Uncle JJ. Uh, people who worked at camp for decades and they gave a lot to camp, but they probably aren't people that campers or counselors have actually met. Um, and so these unsung heroes I'm speaking to are people that show up, do an amazing job, and move on to their next phase of life. And I think everyone who went to camp or worked at camp have their own personal legends or heroes, these people who encourage them and inspire them in some personal way. Um, and I can give you guys an example for me. One of the first guys I met at camp was Ian Myers. He um, had already been at camp for a while by the time I started, but he always encouraged me the way he held himself, um, the way he worked around camp, the way he just flat out loved his campers, and through our friendship um, that started the very first day I showed up at camp until um, I attended his wedding a few years ago. And I think this could just be a really good topic that you could feed out to everyone listening to the podcast, and they could hear about some people who really impacted camp in the short time they were around. And I, I think every summer is built on people like Ian doing a phenomenal job. These, these people we don't really hear much about, but they show up, do an amazing job, and then um, kind of go on to what's next, which is kind of what camp's all about. Um, let me know what you guys think. Happy to talk about it. See you guys. All right, what do you think of that? I think it's a great idea. We've been talking about this topic already in uh, just offline, you and I. And what I really like about it is it's everybody should have one of these stories, right? Hopefully everybody who comes to camp has had somebody impact their life uh, while they're at camp. And man, I would love to hear all those stories. Totally. You know, being the new guy here, I don't know Adam Derby. He sounds great. But Ian Myers, I, I want to know that guy. He sounds awesome. Uh, so already I'm like, man, this guy sounds like somebody I'd like to be friends with. And in that way, I think there's probably an untold amount of those people out there. Yeah. So that's our thought. You know, if you guys had somebody in mind that just really was the quintessential person that made you love camp, maybe helped grow your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with others at camp, let us know. I mean, get on and, and just tell us this is a chance for you to remember somebody, shout out somebody to honor somebody that uh, was just really impactful at camp. And we ask you to do that right now. John, every so often we get feedback from a parent or a staff member along these lines. You know, an email comes through in the fall or something, but there's got to be so many more of these stories out there. And man, I would love to hear them. So here's your call to action. Hit up our voicemail, use the hyperlink in the description, or uh, or punch it in old school, 978-308-2679. Tell us who your camp hero is. Give us your story. Um and give a shout out to somebody who had an impact on your time or your life at camp. If you would like to make a call, please hang up and try again. 